Good evening and welcome to our evening service. Richard Bennett with us this evening is going to come now and uh, read the scripture and lead us in prayer, brother, if you would. Would you turn in your Bibles, please, to Mark, Mark 5, verse 1. Mark chapter 5, verse 1. Beginning at verse 1 of Mark 5, And they came over unto the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man, no man could bind him, no, not with chains. Because they had been often bound with feathers and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always night and day he was in the mountain and in the tombs crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him and cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of the most high God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. For he, had, for he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. Now there was there nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding. And all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave, and the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. They were about two thousand and were choked in the sea. And they fed, and they that fed the, sh the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country. And they were out to see what it was that was done. Sorry, and they went out to see what it was that was done. And they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in right his right mind. And they were afraid. And they that saw it told them how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil, and also concerning the swine. And they began to pray him to depart out of the courts, out of their course, coasts. And when he was come into the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends, and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath compassion on thee. And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him, and all men did marvel. Let's bow in a word of prayer, please. Our gracious God, we are mindful, O God, that thy word is settled in heaven. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. And great is thy faithfulness unto us. It is faithful unto all generations. 
We thank Thee, O God, for that faithfulness. We thank Thee for that word. We thank that there is no power in heaven or on earth like Thy word. We thank Thee that we have Thy word in written form. We can come before Thee and learn of Thee. We ask Thy blessing upon every aspect of the ministry here tonight. We thank Thee, O God, that Thou art our God. And we thank Thee for Thy grace the hour in which we first believed. Lord, bless to these ends, we pray thee, and help us deliver this message, for we ask thee in Jesus' name. Amen. Richard, welcome. Glad you're here this evening. May the Lord bless as you open the word to us, brother. In Mark chapter 5, verses 1 to 20, we have a, an account of a person possessed a pitiful account, a pitiful example of the depravity of individual, rather sad account. When I thought about the subject tonight, I thought, well, surely this was an individual that received, was recipient of God's grace. But I thought about the topic of God's grace and delivering it and using this as a text. And uh, I think I got in quite over my head on this. <laughs> it is, uh, the grace of God is a, a vast subject. It encompasses so many different parts of doctrine, from foreknowledge to predestination, to election to calling, sanctification, as well as glorification, and there's every aspect of salvation, the Godhead is active. So, to begin, I thought I would start with a proposition from Mr. Phillips. Grace is something in God which is at the heart of all his redeeming activities. The downward stoop and reach of God, bending from the heights of his majesty to touch and grasp our insignificance and poverty. And I thought about grace, I thought about my outline, and using Romans 8, 29 and 30, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many. It says that when Mark, when they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes, and when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. Well, if you remember, previously, Christ had been on the other side of the sea, on the western shore. And it was because of the multitudes that he went into the boat. And there were other little ships that, that went with him, and he sailed specifically over to the shores of the Gadarenes. They had a bit of trouble the night, the, uh, in that day. There was a big storm. It wasn't really a storm because it, it says it was wind. It was perfectly sunny, but a great wind came. It was almost as though the devil didn't want them to come. For Jesus was asleep in the boat, and the waves were so high they crashed over the boat that they began to take in water. No doubt there are other little boats that were with him, 
hook in the water too, and maybe some were in danger because of the waves crashing about them. Maybe they were in danger of breaking apart. But one came and woke Jesus up and said, Master, we perish. And he arose and he rebuked the wind and calmed the seas. And they marveled at that, at the power that even the elements can obey him. But there he is, the shores of the Gadarenes. He steps out of the boat, and there meets him, one possessed with a devil. And I thought about this uh, topic, the grace of God, and Paul, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. The foreknowledge of God, when it is applied to events, including the free action of men, it means God's foresight or knowledge beforehand. But when it refers to people, it means to regard with favor, denoting not mere cognition, but an affection. For the person in view, the word foreknowledge is, in the old, is not in the Old Testament, but the word know occurs often and frequently, means to love or to choose or ordain. As an example, in Psalm 1.6, For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Jeremiah 1 and 5, Before I formed thee in thy belly, or in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. And I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. These passages is not, it is not, Acquaintance, but affection. Or appointment, I'm sorry, it is not acquaintance, but affection. Or appointment, that is meant. And the word know is often used in the New Testament in the same sense. Jesus said that many will say to me in the day, in that day, Lord, Lord, we have, not prof have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonders and works. And then Jesus will profess to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. This means that he did not know them savingly. The first thing God ever did for his people was to foreknow them. In his foreknowledge, he set his affections on them. God's attitude or disposition of love and favor towards a sinner is grace. Every aspect of salvation is by grace. God's foreknowledge of his people is his gracious regard and love for poor sinners. In 1 Corinthians 8, 3, But if any man love God, the same is known of him. 1 John 4.10 Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. It is God who is propitiated. God who is righteous and must punish sin. He is first God of righteousness. He must punish sin. And it was Christ who was our substitute. He is our surety. It was on him 
that God's wrath fell. He was our substitute. It is God who is propitiated by the vindication of his holy and righteous character, whereby through the provision he has made in the vicarious and expiatory sacrifice of Christ, he has dealt so he has so dealt with sin that he can show mercy to believing sinners and the removal of his guilt and the remission of his sin. If it was not for Christ, the channel of God's grace, none of us would be saved. The Lord knows those who are his. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure. Having the seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. John 10, 14, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and unknown by my, of mine. There is a difference between knowing with affection and just being acquainted. God is acquainted with everyone. He is omniscient, all-knowing. There is no limit to his knowledge about people. Here in these verses, however, the knowledge of Christ is to the saved and therefore cannot indicate an acquaintance, but rather affection. That's what grace is. And that grace is unmerited. There is nothing we can do. It is unmeritable. We can't earn it. It was God's gracious provision in eternity past. God devised the plan. It was Christ that implemented he was our channel of God's grace. And it was the Holy Spirit that would administer the grace of God in sanctification. In Mark 8, or Matthew 8, 28, we go back. I wanted to read his account just this one verse, because it differs. Matthew was quite brief on this uh, account. But at 8.28, and when he was come out of the other side of, into the country of the Gerardines, there met him two possessed with devils coming out of the tombs, exceeding fierce, so that no man might pass by that way. When the devil saw him, he ran and knelt before him. It was this exceeding fierceness about his countenance that the others had left out. But Mark picks up the narrative in Mark 5, 6. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him and cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. For he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him much that he would not send him away out of the country. Mark gives quite a description of him, a man with an unclean spirit, who had, in verse 3, his dwelling among the tombs. And no man could blind him, no, no, not with chains, because that he had often been bound with fetters and chains. That to me speaks of a man that was in trouble with the law. 
You know, he was, he was often crying at the top of his voice, disturbing the peace. When they came out of the boat, Matthew made mention that he had such a fierce covenant, or um, fierce countenance, that those that even thought of going that way would have very much second thoughts for being for fear of being torn up, perhaps. So I, I think this individual had been oft times involved with trouble, with the law. They had tried to apprehend him, and each time, neither could any man tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. For oft times, Luke says, it had caught him. And he was kept bound with chains and in fetters, and he broke the bands and was driven of the devil into the wilderness, often. So there wasn't just one occasion. He was he had a real problem. This was no chance encounter between him and God. This was God's gracious regard and love for helpless sinners in action through foreknowledge. A quote from Dr. Dale found in... Uh, C.D. Cole's book read, Grace is love which passes beyond all claims to love. Grace is not the sinner's due. It is not something that he earns. It is not something he can lay claim to. Jesus was there to do that which no sinner could possibly do for himself. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. Grace is also unmeritable. He could do nothing to win it or earn it. He was lost. He was no more than the toy of those who hated man and would have taken him to a Christless eternity had it not been for the grace of God. God was there for a reason. Jesus was there for a reason that day. The uh, the Apostle Paul, who said in 1 Corinthians 15.10, But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. The Apostle Paul had an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ too. Yet the Apostle Paul, just from his position in society, was completely opposite to this poor man, this poor naked man, this cut, this this, uh, disgusting sample of humanity, even possessed by devils. The Apostle Paul was such a contrast, and yet he too had an encounter with Christ. Mind you, this devil, was his encounter was with Christ in his, in his uh, bodily state when he was here on earth during his ministry. The Apostle Paul's was more supernatural. In Christ's glorified state, he came and he apprehended Paul. There was quite the contrast But both, both were recipients of God's foreknowledge, God's affection, God's grace, unmerited. If you would think that if anybody merited God's grace, it would have been Paul as a member of the Sanhedrin. But what was Paul doing? What was Paul doing to the sheep, to God's elect? He was imprisoning them, destroying their lives, 
confiscating their possessions, their land. Sometimes they were even put to death. Think of Stephen. Where was Paul during that? I think some have mentioned that Paul was probably the one whom they threw their garments at his feet so that he could hold their garments while they stoned him. But that was not the case. Paul thought he was doing all manner of righteousness for God, but it was not worth anything. And his own account, he mentions that. Dr. C.D. Cole in his book, Definitions of Doctrine, says Jesus Christ our Lord is not the source, but the medium of grace. Grace has a source in the heart of God and operates according to the sovereign will of God. The resources of grace are to be found in God. This makes it fitting to speak of irresistible grace. Surely we can speak of an irresistible God. No man can rescue himself from the tyranny of sin. Sin is too much for any man. Man Men are taken captive by the devil. Grace is more powerful than the devils that possessed this poor, tormented soul. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are ye saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Jesus Christ. In Mark twelve or Mark 5, verse 12, we read that the devils could not resist the grace of a sovereign, omnipotent God. And all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine, that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave, And the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. There were about 2,000 of them. That's a significant number of pigs. The unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine. The herd ran down the hills and were choked in the sea. What happened to the demons? I don't know. That is of little importance when it comes to our subject, but I did have a thought that entered my head. Revelations 18.2, And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, is become the habitation of devils, and the hold of every foul spirit, and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. There is a habitation for them. It is the hold of every foul spirit, a cage for the unclean and hateful. Make no mention or make no uh, doubt about what the Lord said about these uh, legions. They are hateful spirits. They were out to destroy the man. You look at the world today and you think of the devils that are at play. You can't help but wonder. And they that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country. Here the narrative splits in two. Mark, Luke, Matthew give no account of what transpired between the Christ and the soul that was free from this torment. The recipients of God, God's love and grace 
No intimate discourse such as that between Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman at the well. But Paul says in Romans 8.29, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many. We have dwelt with the foreknowledge, but now the predestination. Again, I quote from C.D. Cole, Predestination is the gracious undertaking of God in that it determines destiny beforehand. Predestination is never said to be to damnation, but to salvation. God causes no one to be damned. Sin is the thing that damns men, but God is the cause of salvation. The foreknown are said to be also, the foreknown are said to be predestinated to be conformed to the image of his son. C.D. Cole also said, that he who devised salvation's plan also works the plan. For we must needs die in Samuel, 2 Samuel 14.14, 14, a verse that had an impact on me. For we must needs die, and are as water spilt on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. Neither doth God respect any person, Yet doth he devise means that he banished, his banish be not expelled from him, God's grace in salvation's plan. I thought of a, a verse in the scripture, for we must needs all die. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. We are all as water spilt on the ground which cannot be gathered up again. Pitiful state. What can we do? What can we merit? What merit of God's grace? Nothing. Neither doth God respect any man's person. Yet doth he devise means. A plan salvation not of works lest any man should boast salvation is of the lord thank god for that the divine order in romans 8:28 or 8:29 and 30 is foreknowledge predestination calling justification and glorification for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. First Peter 1. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. The divine order is foreknowledge, election, and sanctification. So the foreknown are elected, predestinated, called, justified, sanctified, and glorified. And since every aspect of salvation is by grace, God's foreknowledge of his people is his gracious regard and love for poor sinners. And because of this gracious regard for them, he chose them to salvation, predestined them 
to adoption of sons, calls them by his grace, justifies them by his grace, through faith in the blood of his Son, sanctifies them by his Spirit, and will glorify them when the Lord comes. There was much time afforded to them, ample time for God, the Holy Spirit, to apply quickening words of Jesus to bring about salvation. You cannot help but reflect on some of the words in Holy Writ, such as John 10, verse 10, The thief cometh not, but for to steal, and to kill, and to destroy. I am come that they might have life, they might have it more abundantly. Perhaps even Simon Peter may have had a thought, may have said something to him. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Those were his words. John 17, there are the words of the Lord in his earthly prayer before his crucifixion. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is eternal life, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. No doubt in my mind that they had time for those people that uh, ran, that were tending the flock. They had to cover great distances. They had to tell people in the countryside. They had to tell people in the city. That would have taken time. And the people would have gathered because they did come. So Jesus had more than ample time to bear upon this soul truth, grace. And we do see a transformation because when he was departing, he begged that he go with Jesus. And that's, that's a, a huge difference between a man, his countenance, his demeanor, his disposition, a huge difference. But Jesus forbade him not to do that. He said, go and tell all the great things that thou hast done. I have one final quote from C.D. Cole concerning the Holy Spirit's part. Grace saves us from the love of sin and from a darkened understanding. This may be called internal salvation and is the work of the Holy Spirit in us. In this work, the Holy Spirit opens the soul's blinded eyes to see the truth of the gospel. Paul said that this, his gospel was hidden to the lost because their minds were blinded. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4. The death of Christ does not benefit the man who lives and dies without faith in it. And every man of us who would so live were it not for the living, life-giving and life, light-giving and life-giving work of the Spirit. Spiritual truths are foolishness to the natural man. 1 Corinthians 2.14, even though he was a university professor, no one but the Holy Spirit can save or make a man spiritual. And the Word was with, and the Word was made flesh in John 1.14, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace 
and truth. In Romans 8.31, what shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? God was for that man that day. He had an appointment with him, if you want to say that. He had a full house, a crowded house, a house full of demons, bent on his destruction, bent on taking him to hell. They had great satisfaction in killing. They begged Jesus, send us to the swine. And what did they do? They destroyed the swine. That was a costly venture. They that fed the swine had fled to the other side of the country, or into the town and, and uh, into the countryside. And uh, they went out to see, those that uh, were told came back. They went out to see what it was that was done. And they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And they waited, and, and they were afraid, rather, in verse 16, and they saw, and they that saw told them how it befell to him. That, that means the, 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 the ones that tended the swine. And they that saw told it them how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil and concerning the swine. Luke gives his account in 837. Then the whole multitude of the country of the Gadarenes round about besought him to depart from them, for they were taken with great fear. Mr. Gill in his commentary suggests that lest they should suffer other and greater losses than the loss of the swine, choosing rather that the devils should be retained among them than Christ continue with them. Mark says that uh, when he was come into the ship that he had been possessed, that he, had, that he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends, and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee, and hath had compassion on thee. And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him. And all men marveled. Even in his parting, God did not embark without leaving a living testimony of his grace, one who caused them to marvel, marvel at his grace, he bearing the scars of his former tormented past, proclaiming the compassion of Christ and preparing the way, as it were, for his return. For Christ would return. He was not thwarted by them. He had an objective. He wanted to get away from the multitudes. He needed a rest. And when he landed there, there was only one that he had to deal with. By God's grace, that man left and became a living testimony proclaiming God's compassion, preparing the way, as it were, for his return. And it came to pass that when Jesus was returned, this is from Luke. Mark, again, doesn't give this. But Luke, Luke mentions something that I thought interesting. 
There was one in the area of the Gadarenes. Many of them besought him to, to leave, depart. They were fearful. And yet Luke, when he says, it, it came to pass that when Jesus was returned, the people gladly received him. They were waiting for him. I don't think it was, took any more than the better part of a day. It was probably late evening by the time they got across there. But uh, they gladly received him, for they were all waiting for him. He loved them with an everlasting love. And this love was a gracious love, and in no way was it merited. Grace is the unmerited, unmeritable favor of God. Tis not that I did choose thee, for Lord, that could be that could not be. This heart would still refuse thee, but thou hast chosen me. Let's bow in a word of prayer, please. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank Thee, O God, for Thy Word. We thank Thee for the Word that was made flesh. We thank Thee for the account that was given by the apostles. That we can read of, of, of these testimonies, these miracles, these encounters with the supernatural, and know the power of our God is greater than all. We thank Thee for salvation's plan. We thank Thee, O God, for that foreknowledge, that predestination, that calling that is effectual, the election. For we are Your elect. We thank Thee, O God, for the Holy Spirit that Thou hast left us, that He might lead us into all truth and bless us with spiritual blessings. Prepare us for that glory that is yet to come. Lord, take these words, we pray, and apply them to our heart. Let us dwell upon them and thank Thee. Thank Thee for Thy amazing grace. We thank Thee in Jesus' name. Amen.